0: All right. So it has become much more obvious over the past few years and maybe decades that our church families have really struggled in America. Um, many churches are marked by sterility and distance. You walk in, it's kind of like walking into a, into a doctor's office. Uh, you know, and, and others are the opposite where it's just there's so much emotion. It's, there's dissension and division and emotional charging. Uh, so today's message, we're going to dive into relationships and in our churches. Uh, and Paul's going to discuss on a few of the big picture relationships. And the first and foremost relationship that we see floundering in a lot of churches is the pastor to congregation relationship. And, and we've discussed unqualified and shameful pastors in the past. Uh, the moral failings that we see, the false teachings that we see across uh, certain churches in America. And and as churches, we should confront ungodly leaders, false teachers, and they should be removed from their positions and they should be called to repent of their evil ways. Absolutely. But many men do serve their churches with integrity. Uh, Many men do serve their churches with dignity. And a lot of these pastors are struggling with disrespect from congregations because of the shame other pastors bring. And actually, pastor disrespect and disloyalty are actually at an all-time high in our churches in America today. Um, And, you know, with with social media, you have real-time critique of pastors throughout America, even greater of a microscope. You know, it's great that our sermons go out on the internet, but that provides more of a microscope to kind of get into a pastor's mind and their heart. Uh, And it's no wonder that Barna has recently found that close to 40% of pastors 40%, it was 38 exactly, thought about quitting in the past year, according to data that came out last November. And in that research, it said that only 35% of pastors were deemed to be healthy, and they used six different divisions, and those divisions were relational, spiritual, financial, physical, emotional, and vocational health. And sadly, I mean, although it was good that spiritual health was the top number when we looked at, at pastoral health, that number was 52%. So only 52% of our American church pastors consider themselves spiritually healthy. And if only half of our pastors are spiritually healthy, how are they supposed to lead a congregation of spiritually unhealthy people as well, right? And so it's a big issue there. And the relationships between congregants and a church are not any better. Consumerism and this ministry-driven, me, me-focused, self-focused uh, <coughs> mentality has really come to the point where people come to church to get something, not to give anything. They come to church to be served and not to serve anyone else. They want to order the, the Christian experience combo at the fast food restaurant. They can, they can drive through, get their Jesus fix, you know, feel good about themselves so they can go throughout the next week, get their word that gives them encouragement that they can quote-unquote be a better them, as Joel Osteen so horribly says, yeah and, and so but but what this does is this consumeristic mindset i 'm here to be served, not to serve i 'm here to be given, not to give what it creates is this relational disaster in the church you, you can 't have relationships with people who only get and never give, and, and so we have it destroys the ability to do life with one another because no one is there to serve, so how can we survive in a world and a culture in an American church culture? we live in today, how can Crosspoint thrive and not just survive? And how can we form a bond as a church family that is deep, loving, and long-lasting? And I'll say in full disclosure as we get started, I think that our church is much more healthy than many other churches. And I don't say that out of pride or out of I'm awesome or you're awesome even, but I say that out of a thankfulness to Jesus Christ, that we have a group of people that are very imperfect. We're all sinners, but we realize that. And I think that's the first step, that being humble, to realize that, and that we, we hold the Word of God above everything else, above our opinions, above anyone else, what I say, what you say. And so as long as we've been able to maintain unity and growing in our relationships because we're united around the inerrant Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we continue moving forward even further as we learn more about what Paul has to say about our church relationships and how we can be a healthy church family. So join me as we turn into God's Word, First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to preach it. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you um, open up our hearts and minds to hear your word today. I pray for protection over our church fellowship here. So many churches are are splitting or having disunity. Uh, So many churches are going liberal when it comes to theology, trying to be liberated from the pages of scripture, trying to do what they want to do instead of what you command. And so, God, I pray against all of that, that we be united as a church around the Word of God, that it is inerrant and unchanging and perfect. And, God, may we realize that we are imperfect, that we change constantly, and that we are like shifting sand apart from you. And so, God, may, may we fully rely on you, the solid rock, our salvation, our Lord. Amen. All right, so today we're going to discuss three ways that we can maintain a healthy church family. The first is, as a healthy church family member, you should esteem your elders. You should esteem your elders. I'm going to read here uh, the, the verse 12 and, and half of verse 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. For those of you who may not be aware of Uh, There's uh, three words for the same office in Scripture. We have elder or presbyteros. We have pastor, which is pumain. Those are the Greek words. And then overseer or bishop, which are the same words, depending on what translation you use, which is episkopos. And they're all the same office. And what they do is they just describe different workings of that same office. Some denominations do confuse these terms, but the Scriptures are clear that these are referring to the same individual in the church. So I am a a pastor of the church, meaning that I am to lovingly care for, to feed, and to shepherd the flock, right? I'm to oversee the church, which means I am to protect the church against false teaching, uh, that I'm to oversee that, watch out for false doctrine, and I'm called to be an elder, which is someone with authority in the church. So all three of those terms are are interchangeable. And with that in mind, there's an important lesson given here in this section of scripture. Believers in the churches are, are required to what? To to respect and esteem and love those leaders who labor among them. And to do so, why? Because of their work. And I think this is really important, and this is an important distinction because one is not a pastor by title alone. Uh, one is not a pastor just because they apply for a job and get it. One is not a pastor just because they, they're the son of a pastor. One is a pastor because they are called and equipped by God, and one is a true pastor because they serve the church with diligent labor and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's much truth to respecting the position of someone, right? We respect the president because he's the president, but we don't go so far as to say he doesn't need accountability, right? He has a couple of other branches of government that hold him accountable, and he has the people that hold him accountable. And so in the same way, we were to hold our church leaders accountable in the church, we mustn't flatter a leader because of his position. His position, uh, we, we are to respect and esteem those leaders who what? Who diligently labor for the church with integrity. Those who do the job the way the Bible calls us to do. Those who are false teachers and who are in ministry for shameful gain, they're actually to not be respected. They're, they're actually not to be left in their position. Just because they're the pastor, we as the church need to stand against false teaching. And I know that sounds weird coming from a pastor to tell you to hold pastors accountable, but I've seen too many times in our churches across America that we have a pastor who, who preaches another gospel, a Galatians 1 problem. They're preaching a different gospel, and as Paul would say, let, let him be accursed. And he says it twice, actually. If, if you preach a gospel other than the one that I have preached, meaning there's another way to God other than Jesus Christ, he's not a pastor. He's a false teacher, and he needs to be removed from his position. And the church needs to rise up and confront that individual and step in. So we esteem those who legitimately fulfill the role as pastor. I know that's a, a weird thing for a pastor to teach on, but I think we need to teach the whole counsel of Scripture, and that is one. And if I ever teach something that is, iner- that is errant, please approach me and talk about it. I, I want to have that accountability, I welcome that from the church. So, there are two words here respect and esteem. So, we are to respect our church leaders. I'm going to kind of go through these two words. And so, so, this is again those church leaders who serve with integrity and diligent work and diligent labor. These are those who are worthy of respect, who serve humbly and diligently for Christ and his church. And we respect, so, how do we show respect to leaders? And we, we do that by, by praying for them and appreciating their work. Uh, we show that by encouraging them, we, we, we show that by holding them in high regard and defending them when others malign and gossip about them. You know, I, I know we all heard the joke about the family who's on their way back home from church, and they're, they're picking apart the pastor's sermon and what they liked and what they didn't and his mannerisms that really bothered them and all these things, and, and that's disrespectful. And what that does is that teaches your kids that, that authority doesn't matter, and that is going to come back to you, parent. If you're talking about your pastor or you're talking about a, your boss in a certain way that is very disrespectful... Well, your kids are going to learn authority doesn't really matter. I don't need to respect my authorities. Next, we see that we are to esteem our church leaders. And this Greek word here is heiaome, yeah, and it means to think highly of or regard highly. And this idea is shown as well in 1 Timothy five seventeen through 18. It says, let the elders, and again, we know elders, pastor, bishop, overseer, all the same position. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Note again, there's a conditional clause there, right? Let the elders who what? Who rule well, right? The elders who do not rule well need to be confronted. If they are in sin, they need to be given either a time away in order to repent of that sin, or if it's a grievous sin, it may be something they need to be removed completely from their position, The Bible is very clear about that, that we need to be above reproach as pastors. We need to be quick to repent. We need to be humble. And if we're not fulfilling those roles, we need to be approached in that. But for those who rule well, they're worthy of double honor. And if you actually look at the literal Greek here, this actual word, the compound word here means double pay. And this is shown even further in verse 18, where it shows that the laborer deserves his wages this is not a typical scripture that many pastors bring up because it seems like it's laced with ulterior motives, right? Pay me more. I need I need more. And my job is to teach the whole council of scripture. I teach against pastors uh, who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and I teach for pastors who are. And the Bible is clear here that those who gives a distinction for those who preach and teach the Word of God, that we need to see their job as great value. I've heard so many times, I've been a part of many different churches. I've been a deacon before. I've been on financial committees before I was ever a pastor. And I heard so many times people make comments that were just disparaging to the office of pastor. Oh, they don't really need that much. We shouldn't really do that. Whereas these guys were doctors and lawyers and and were making more money than, than, than these pastors. And I was like, well, you know, as a physician, I realized how much training a pastor has to have. Uh, A pastor has a four-year undergrad degree and then goes on for a four-year seminary degree most of the time, at least three years there. And then there's tons of extra training that they put in over time. Some even go on to doctorates and things like that. And yet, if you look at their salary compared to other salaries, a nurse, for example... Uh, or anything, anyone in health care, other things like that. And, and you start to see, and you see so many people not see the office of pastorate as worthy of investing in. And that's a hard issue for us, because what we're saying is the word of God, the church of God, of Jesus Christ, is not important. We're not, we're not going to invest in that. We're not going to give to that. We're not going to do that. That pastor, he, he needs to live you know, below the poverty line. We need to treat him you know, like that, because it's good for him. You know, it's, it'll, it's, it's healthy for him. And I think we've kind of responded that way because we've seen guys who have taken advantage of churches. And so we kind of almost go the other way. The pendulum swings this way, and so we're like, we're not going to let that happen. And God has blessed me to be co-vocational, so I can say this and teach this without really feeling a lot of stress about that. I I have a job that supports my family, and I'm blessed to be able to do that. But I was also blessed to see the church come and and cover our benefits at this last business meeting so that I could work less in the ER to be able to provide for my family currently. And I'm also blessed to have leaders in our church who called me out for maybe being a little prideful. I I wanted to be self-sustaining. I didn't want to take anything at all. And between leaders in our convention that had talks with me and Brother Jim and other people in in, in our church that that, that had talks with me, what I realized was that if I don't let you all see the pastor at job as something worthy of investing in, that I'm actually hurting our growth. That, that I'm actually hurting your growth as a, as a believer. If you don't hold the word of God in high esteem and the preach word of God and the pastorate in high esteem, then, then I'm actually causing a growth problem for our church. And so I do praise God for, for, his, for, for leaders in this church and leaders in our convention uh, as well. So when a church does, regard, does not regard its, its leaders highly, when we do not esteem our leaders highly, we make a tough job even tougher. Satan hates me. I'll be honest, Satan hates me, He hates you too. But he hates me a lot because I am preaching the word of God. It's going on the internet. People are listening to it. You all are listening to it. And it's changing lives, not because I'm awesome, not because I'm the best orator or the best communicator. There's much better men out there who can preach better than me. But because we hold the word of God in high regard and we preach it literally and like it is, he hates what we're doing here. He hates us. And so when we don't esteem our pastors, when we don't respect our pastors, we make a tough job even tougher. And the church must do its best to pray hard for its leaders because Satan is coming after us hard. It's coming after people like Brother Jim and, and Brother Adam, uh, you know, who are serving and, and all the other leaders in our church and even you as well who are leading your families. And We must support one another in love. And I do thank you for your prayers and I thank you for the support that I've had so far. And I praise God for you all. Moving forward, we see this, the next uh, aspect of our church relationships, and this is, as a healthy church family member, you should motivate your fellow members. Let me read these. This is the second half of verse 13 and 14. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So our sermon today is focused in on how we should biblically remain a healthy Church family, I love that word "remain" that I'm going to put there because I really do think that we've been blessed with a healthy church family thus far, and I pray that we stay there. We first saw that we should respect and esteem our leaders, but now we're going to move forward and understand how we should interact together as a congregation, as as a church membership here. And each of you are called to serve, care for, and love one another well. And this verse, uh, this verse and a half, gives us a rundown on how our relationships. Should go with one another and it shows us how we should motivate one another and love one another. And the first is to be at peace with one another, to be at, be at peace with one another. This is quite a charge. To be at peace with one another requires much forgiveness and grace. You know, Peace is hard to come by these days. I mean, if you watch the news, if you're in anything, peace is very, very hard to come by. And relational peace is hard to come by. You know, if if you've been married or you are married, you know, if you have kids, you know, just living in the same home, peace sometimes is tough because you, you rub each other the wrong way sometimes. And yet there's only one way we can have peace, and that's through the Holy Spirit. We see that in Galatians 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace you know, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's only given by the Holy Spirit. There's no way we can get peace. You know, you see so many false teachings out there. You just need to to find your inner peace. I have news for you, my friends. There's no inner peace inside of you. There's no peace inside of you because, as Romans 3 says, there's nothing good inside of you apart from Christ. But we need to live at peace and harmony with one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we're to admonish the idol admonish the idol. And this word idol refers to someone who's lazy or disorderly. It also refers to one who's insubordinate, meaning that they're disobedient. Those who are lazy uh, or disorderly need admonish. And that word means to urge or exhort. It's to call out, but in a loving way from, from, from a, a good heart, a heart that is uh, for Christ. Those of us who are not running this race well need to be called out in a loving way we need to be admonished. And so when someone misses church week after week, or they're not reading the Word of God the way they should, or they're not praying as they should, they're not leading their home well, uh, they're, not, they're not leading their children well, they're not, you know, serving their home well, they're not being the mothers or wives or daughters that God's called them to be, or the sons or the fathers that God's called them to be. And when children are being disrespectful and disobedient, and, and they're not following the ways of their father in heaven, when someone's slacking in their work and they're not doing what they're supposed to do. It's during these times that we as the church need to lovingly admonish one another. And this involves a loving confrontation and encouragement to do better through the power of Christ. And I'm sure a lot of you all hear that and you're like, well, I hear that, but I don't really see how that's practically going to go well. You know, I I mean, how, how can I really approach someone about a sin in their life, uh, and not look judgmental, right? We're in this age where you can't call anything out. We're in this soft generation, especially younger people, no offense, but we're in this generation where you can't say anyone stinks at something or that they're on bad. I'm sorry. It's like sometimes we just aren't good at something. Sometimes we have areas of our life where we need help, and we need somebody to kind of come in and be like, yeah, that wasn't that good. Let, let's do better. You know, l- how can I help you do better? And obviously, we're going to talk about how to do that maybe in a less or more sensitive way than maybe what I just said. Um, but I'm, and I'm sure, you know, first off, the outcome of when you do admonish someone, when you approach someone, and you urge them lovingly to, to make a change, to help them grow in a certain area. Results may vary. You know, I always like that. You know, things, results may, may vary. Sometimes it's going to go really, really well. Sometimes it's going to go really, really poorly. And that depends on their humility and their spirit and where they're at with the Lord at that time. But that's not your fault on how that goes. So practically how how does this look? How does approaching someone, you got a uh, you know, brother or sister in Christ you know is really struggling through something, man, they just got some some things in their life they need to be approached. Well how do we how do we do that? Well first off we need to pray. You need to be praying should I approach that person? I, am I the person to approach that person? We, we don't want to be the police officer who just goes around throwing tickets. Citizens arrest! You know, we don't want to be that person. E- everybody's met that person. Nobody likes that person. So, so we don't want to be that person. But, so we need to make sure that our, our heart is right, that we love that person. It's not somebody we just don't like. We want to see him do better. Like, you know what? Like, I always pick on Kevin because he's right here. But it's like, all right, I really don't like Kevin. Kevin, you need to change this and this and this and this and this. And, I'm, you know, just ride him all the time just because maybe I don't like Kevin. I like Kevin, but I, that's why I can say that to him. But, you know, so, so we can, you know, we got to watch that our heart isn't just judgmental and wanting to beat somebody down and bully them. Second, we need to approach that person in humility by asking a lot of questions. Sometimes there's things going on behind the scenes. Maybe it's a dad you don't feel like is really leading his family the way he should. Well, ask some questions. Like, hey, you know, what's going on? Everything going okay with you? How are you spiritually? You know, what's life? I mean, they may have some really big stuff going on in their life. We, we need to approach them humbly and ask questions before we just come out and hit him with something. And we need to resist the urge to, to stand in judgment of them. We're to hold them accountable to the Word of God, but we are not to stand in judgment of them. The Word of God stands in judgment of them. Nobody cares about what you think. I tell you that all the time. and that sounds awful. You shouldn't care what I think. If I say, well, I don't like that dress you're wearing. I don't like that shirt. Who cares? That's not in the Bible. You know, anything I would say, th- that, that doesn't matter. Or I think that you should play basketball and not soccer because I think basketball is a better sport. That's an opinion. That's not, that's not a fact. But when w- the word of God is inherent, and so that is either truth or it's not truth. And so when we, when we apply something, it is 100% truth, the inherent word of God. We bring that up. And so we address it through the Scripture. After we've got all the data, after we understand where they're coming from, we've spent time listening, which is so important. we got to listen first. And then we offer up our exhortation from a place of humility, and love and gentleness. And it must never come from a condescending or judgmental heart, but it needs to be true from, you know, from, from the Spirit, from, from the Holy Spirit coming through you. And you need to be willing to continue accountability and follow-up. You, you don't just call somebody out without giving them a lifeline saying, hey, I'm here for you. This is a struggle. How can I help you beat this? You know, uh, you know, Either I'm gonna help you or I'm gonna get you plugged in with somebody else that can help you if it's beyond my ability. You know, How, how, can, I, how can I do that? And I know most of us, we hear this, and man, I mean, some of you are just sweating, like sweats rolling down the back of your your, your your thing. You're like, I don't like confrontation. I don't do confrontation. There's no part of me that ever does confrontation. I'm not talking about anything to anyone ever, so I, I'm just going to ignore this, this point. Point two, just mark it out of your handout. That one really didn't happen. my well, friends, this is a command from God. It's not for me. God says, admonish the idol. I didn't say it he did. So what we need to know is we need to care and love our neighbors so much that we want them to run the race well as well. This isn't a participation trophy race. First, 1 Corinthians nine twenty four says this, do you not know that in the race all runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. This isn't a works-based salvation. You need to be perfect in order to go to heaven. No, but those who love Christ should be running the race, and if you're not running the race, then there's a danger. Maybe you don't love Christ. If, you, if you're just sitting on the bench the whole time, are you really in the game? Are you really running the race? Or do you just look like it and you're just around other people that are running and you're just sitting there, you know, watching the race? That People watching the race aren't going to heaven. I hate to break that to you. That, that, that's not how this works. Being a spectator, those who are true believers are the ones that go. And true believers persevere. So love your neighbor enough to to confront them in a loving way. But then we got a different... We kind of shift gears here, and it's encourage the faint-hearted. So first, we just kind of had the disorderly, the disobedient. We kind of had to drop the hammer in a way, but it was in a loving and gentle way, but, but there was confrontation involved. And the Greek word for faint-hearted here is oligosihos, which is, means timid or faint-hearted or discouraged. And this means faint-hearted at a soul level. It's a deep, deep thing. The actual root of this word is, which is where which means soul, Uh, And it's where we get the word psyche in English from. And these are persons who are broken, and they are exhausted. Uh, Maybe they've lost a loved one recently. Maybe their health is fading. Maybe they face some serious trials or temptations, and man, their mind is just in a horrible place. Uh, Whatever they've experienced, they're discouraged and broken. We need to encourage these people. We need to support them. These are people that we do not come out admonishing we, we don't just come and start addressing their problems and saying, you need to fix this, this, is These are people that are already are walking around with huge burdens. These are people that need actual help before we get to that point. Yes, eventually, those people do need admonish, and they do need help to go. But we need to start by them, encouraging them and building them up in Christ, who is our living hope, as we see in First 1 Peter 1, three. They need to be reminded of their Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins, rose three days later, and is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for them, they have a great high priest who is not unable to sympathize with their weaknesses, but has been tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He, they have someone to go to. They have a wonderful counselor, a prince of peace, a mighty God. I mean, to point them to them. How again, just, just like I said last time, though, our first approach needs to be what? Keeping our mouth shut. Is this not hard? Do, do we not have a really hard time not just word vomiting all over people when we see they have a problem or they're struggling? And I know we can all be guilty of that. You know, we have this truth. We just want to boom. And I know whenever I was, especially I was, you know, in college, and I was really studying the Word of God harder, and I was growing in my faith. I just wanted to let everybody know what the truth said. And, and, and it really hurts your relationships, by the way, whenever you come like that. I remember my poor parents, like, they just they got to hear theology. And we have some disagreements. And so, so I would just, man, I would just word vomit what I was reading, and this is the truth, and this is it. And sometimes, man, we just really got to keep our mouth shut. We got to be humble and we got to listen. And so we need to spend more time listening than speaking. We need to be slow to speak, listen well. And we do offer biblical encouragement, not things, not our own ideas, not what we bring, biblical encouragement. The other thing, as we listen, one thing that I feel like in a lot of conservative churches that we do very poorly, or that, well, I guess we do it well, but it's a poor thing, is shot block people. I mean, I, I don't know if you all have ever had this happen, but you got a problem, and you're, and you're sharing it with somebody, and man, it's like the Kempe Matumbo comes out, wham, and then just puts that finger in your face, like, no, don't bring that, don't bring that complaint in here, you know, don't bring, I don't want to hear about your struggle, because we don't talk about that, we have victory in Christ, and, and you know, we, we don't talk about problems around here, and I'm like, wow, like, how, if that's you, man, I, I'm just going to give it, so, so here's a little, Oh interchange that, that this is the unhelpful believer interchange the faint hearted says this i've really been struggling since i lost my job i feel so hopeless I, I'm, I'm not sure i'm going to pay the bills i don't know if we will keep the house or the car my marriage is struggling because of all this i'm so lost right now and here's the unhelpful believer at least you're not being fed the lions like daniel was you know just think about how bad he had had it and and that should make you feel better and then they walk away what that's a shot block that's like, you know, they've just poured their heart out. Like, I mean, they're at the verge of of complete hopelessness. They're faint-hearted. They have no hope. They're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'm going to pay my bills. My marriage is in trouble. My whole life is crumbling. And what does that, quote-unquote, holier-than-thou believer say? Well, at least you're not Daniel. It'd be pretty scary to get thrown into the lion's den. You know, it's like, that's that's so, so bad. If If that's you, if you've just identified yourself as the unhelpful believer, my advice to you is just to keep your mouth shut and just shake your head like this. You know, I know that sounds really, really harsh, and this Bible reference, you know, may be harsh too, but Proverbs seventeen twenty eight says this, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I know that might be a harsh criticism, and if you've identified in that, I, I'm sorry if maybe I was too harsh with that. Maybe, but, but I think you've, you've guaranteed if that's you that you fall under the admonishment and not the encouragement. You need the admonishment, so I pray if that's you, you repent. Uh, Fourth, we help the weak, and it's not clear whether this weakness that Paul's talking about refers to physical weakness or or spiritual weakness. In fact, it may refer to both, Um, but the application is the same. Those who are weak need help, and there are those in our churches that need someone to help them along. They need someone to walk with them in difficult times, And it's clear that Paul intentionally left many of these exhortations that we've seen kind of vague and and really open-ended to where we can apply them in a lot of different situations. And I really loved what Charles Wanamaker said. He's a theologian. He says, Paul sought to give the whole community a sense of pastoral responsibility. So Paul calls us all to step up and serve the church in a pastoral way. To, to serve one another, to disciple one another. It's not just my job to disciple you and to serve you, but it's your job to serve one another and even me as well as fellow believers in Christ. And finally, number five, we are to be patient with one another. Be patient with them all. Probably the most hard one of these five. Be patient with them all. We've talked about patience in the past, so I won't go into a ton of detail, but patience is hard. It's tough. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Sometimes Sometimes fellow believers aren't sanctified quite as fast as you'd like them to be. You know, sometimes that person may not become as much like Christ as quick as you would hope that they would. And so you're around them and you're like, when are they ever going to get better? You know, you're like, you know, I mean, I I don't know if, you know, those of you that have kids, you know, sometimes, sometimes they, they grow fast. And you're like, wow, like they start doing these great things. And there's like these seasons where it's like, what happened to my child? Like, there are these seasons where there's just not growth, and, and you can see there's temptation, there's, there's struggles. And I know we've been through those seasons, too. As we grow, we're like, why can't I get past this? Like, you know, I just keep doing these, this, this horrible thing over and over and over again. We've got to be patient. You know, God is working on them. The Holy Spirit's working them. Pray for them, encourage them, and admonish when you need to as well. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ may have some personality effects that need some working of the Holy Spirit as well and sometimes there's people that are like sandpaper, and it's not even that, that it's a sin issue. It's just you don't, you don't really like them, and that's hard. You know, it's really hard to be around people that maybe you just, their personality is not your style. Maybe they're type A, and you're laid back, and you're like, man, why are they always so wound? Like, why can't they just relax and chill? Or maybe you're type A, and they're, they're laid back, and you're like, get off your backside and get something done, you know? I mean, you know, we have just different personalities, but God uses those to help sharpen us, they're like sandpaper, and they, they help those edges, those rough edges. Because if we're all Type A, we're not going to be relational at all. We're not going to. Everything's going to be a task, and it's not. There's not going to be no relational. If we're all laid back, we're not going to get anything done. So you know, we, we we all we need both of those types of people. And note that that Paul ends this this list here with another fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience. So here's another one of the fruits of the spirit, which which shows. These fruits of the Spirit are things you can't do on your own, at least well, not in a godly way, not in a truthful way. So love, joy, peace, patience. You can't be patient apart from the Holy Spirit. Believe me, it takes the Holy Spirit. And finally, number three, as a a healthy church family member, you should relent your retaliation. You should relent your retaliation. Verse 15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I think there's, there, there's a really important distinction between lex talionis, which is eye for an eye, as we've heard, you know, in the Old Testament. We see that in, in Leviticus 24, 19 through 20, and then what we're reading here. So, so here's Leviticus 24, 19 through, through 20. If anyone injure, injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Now note, this was not a personal repayment. This was an Israel law. This was a government law. Israel was a theocracy. They were, they were run by the government. So it wasn't that you went and you broke that guy's arm just without any type of law or going through a process. So the law, This was the law of Israel. And so actually, a lot of times we, we read that and we're like, well, you know, this, there was no grace in the Old Testament. It was eye for eye, tooth for tooth. There was no grace, but people miss. The Proverbs are full of this, and throughout the whole Old Testament, there's grace throughout the pages of the Bible. This Grace is not something that's just invented in the second half. You know, when we come into the New Testament, grace is, is out of nowhere. God is a God who never changes. He's the same yesterday and today, right? And forever, he will always be the same. So check out what Proverbs twenty twenty two 22 says. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Or Proverbs twenty-four twenty-nine. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. In fact, we are told to love our enemy in Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-one. And this is actually expounded upon. I'm sure most of you know more of the Luke reference, Luke six, twenty-seven through thirty-six, which that's our next book. So we'll be going through that in a while, because Luke is very wordy. So it'll be a while till we get to Luke. Luke six. He's a physician, so wordy. You know, that's, yeah. And it's directly quoted again in Romans twelve twenty through 21. So here's what Proverbs twenty five twenty one says. If your enemy is hungry, right, smack him in the head. No, no, what does it say? It says, give him bread to eat. What? If your enemy is hu- he's your enemy. If your enemy is hungry, like I thought Old Testament's all about, there's no grace in the Old Testament. No, this is complete grace. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Grace was not a new concept in the New Testament. It was seen throughout the pages of the Old Testament. The law of Israel provided justice and retribution in a clear way. The, you know, if you looked, this was not the person who was seeking revenge; it was the government of Israel. They they were given the authority to carry out punishment for sin, and we see this in our culture today too, right? If someone murders someone, do you go and shoot the person that murdered somebody? It just it, oh, it was, it was your it was your wife or your husband? No, our justice system does that, right? And so we don't carry out that revenge. Our government. Yeah, is, is what does justice, not revenge. It's, it's justice if we look that we're doing that. And so we are called to love our enemies and those who wrong us. How much more should we love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in our churches who wrong us? If we're to love our enemies, how much more are we to love our friends in Christ, our brothers and sisters, our family who sins against us? This last last command that Paul brings up is quite the kicker, isn't it, in these relationships? When someone wrongs us, what's our natural response? You know, we want to kind of, we want to go right back at it. We want to get in a fight and be like, hey, don't do that again. I'm going to show you never do that again. You don't don't wrong me like that. Yet Paul admonishes or urges us to do the exact opposite of what our carnal flesh would do. And we can only respond with this type of grace and mercy through what? The power of the Holy Spirit working in us. As we've mentioned before, and we'll continue to mention again, doing life together as brothers and sisters gets messy. Doing life with other believers, there's somebody here is who's going to sin against you. We're all going to sin against each other. But as we have read, we need to love our enemies well. And if we look, Proverbs 25, if you go the rest of the way into verse 22, verse 22 says this, For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will, will reward you. When you're kind to those who are not kind to you, uh, when you love those who hate you, who are your enemies, or you love those who are just sinning against you that are in the body of Christ, it has a pretty big effect on people most of the times. Not all the time. I won't promise you that people are always going to be nice to you because you're nice to them. That's just not how the world works. Some people are just going to continue to be mean to you no matter what you do. But a brother or sister in Christ normally is going to respond more favorably. It's hard to argue with somebody who's being kind to you. You know, it's, it's, it's hard, hard to, to hate someone and continue to speak poorly about someone who's living above reproach. You know and so so love others even when they're not lovable because we hope that others love us even when we're not unlovable not, not that we're ever unlovable right church never never right <coughs> um, we we should most most certainly handle sin issues in a biblical way you know I'm not saying that we shouldn't over we should, we should overlook everything yes you know, there are certain times that are grievous sin issues that we need to address and sometimes even to go higher up in the church we need to address big grievous sin issues but the Bible is also clear that we need to be willing to overlook offenses. Some things just aren't that big of a deal in, the, in eternity's sake. A lot of times when we talk to our children when we're teaching them. We're like, "Okay, will this matter in eternity? Will this matter in five minutes? Will this matter in five days? Will you remember something like this? Is this something that is, is it big? Should we overlook it?" And and Proverbs in nineteen eleven says this: "Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense." May we, as the body of Christ, relent our retaliation. We don't need to seek revenge. God seeks it for us, for our enemies who are unsaved. And God loves those who are in his church, and he will convict those and discipline those who are not doing what they're supposed to do in the church if they were truly his. May we seek to do good to everyone. So today's message has been pretty practical as we come to a close. This teaching is paramount to maintaining a healthy church family. Our churches must honor and esteem their elders, they're pastors. We would appreciate the work that church leaders do, and we we need your support and prayers as church leaders. As church members, we need to serve each one another. We need to love one another. We need to disciple and pray for one another, and we need to avoid this me-first consumeristic mentality. We need to come ready to give, not just ready to get. You know, Yes, you should be fed the word of God when we come here. We should be worshiping in spirit and in truth. Yes, we should have that expectation that we're going to have a biblical service, that we're going to worship God, that it's going to be Christ-centered. That is a good, worthy expectation to have. But we also come to serve one another. We come to, to love one another and to do life with one another. And finally, we're not to seek retaliation for those who wrong us. Biblically handle conflict and seek good even for those who wrong us. I pray that each of us takes the scripture seriously as we seek to have a healthy church family. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for my voice lasting throughout this service. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity and ability to to preach your word. I'm not worthy to, but God, you are so worthy of of all of our praise and all of our love and all of our affirmation. So God, may you help us to be a healthy church family. God, we know that that in order to be a healthy church family, we all need to be solidified on the rock of Jesus Christ. It all starts with are we born again believers? Because here's the thing, there's no unity among us if we're not born again believers, if we've not put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if anyone here says, I don't know if I've done that. I'd love to talk to you after the service and, and talk to you about what it means to be a true believer in Jesus Christ because you'll never have peace. You'll never have comfort. As we talked about the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those, those fruit of the Spirit we see in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, those only come through the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit only lives inside of you if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins. So if you need to know more about that, I'd love to talk with you about that. I pray that we all are born-again believers here, that we put our faith and trust in you. And I pray that as born-again believers, we allow your Holy Spirit to sanctify us, make us more like you, so that we can relate to one another more in a more holy way. God, help us to be forgiving, a forgiving people. Help us to be a people about your word. Help us to be a people who love one another enough to step into difficult situations, to, to walk with those who are struggling, to admonish those who are disobedient. And God, may, may we walk this race, run this race the, the, as we run it, um, looking to our left and right and helping others along. Not thinking, oh, I'm farther than this guy, but, but wanting someone to even outpace us. You know, wanting someone to even run faster than us. And may we be encouraged by that. But God, we love you, we praise you, and thank you. And may you bless Cross Point and all other churches across our world. We love you. Amen.